Let's pray together. God, we want to confess before you today that we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. So one day, Jesus was teaching, and one of the religious celebrities decided to test Jesus. They learned the hard way not to get into a battle of wits with the incarnation of God. The Gospel of Matthew tells the story this way. Hearing that Jesus had already silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God, love your neighbor. And then we live this central teaching even to this day. Nothing has changed. That continues and always will. This is who we are, the church of the living Lord. This is what makes us who we are. Amen. And we could end the sermon right there if it wasn't for one thing. Life. Amen, but. That's our life as Jesus followers in the world. And it kind of defines just about everything that we talk about. Amen, but. So, but, just like the celebrity religious leaders and celebrity Roman Caesars of Jesus' day, Sometimes it's difficult for us to tell the difference between celebrities and politicians. Right? Ever feel that way? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines the word Twitter this way. To utter successive chirping noises... And I like this one. To talk in a chattering fashion. Now, that's the verb. The noun is just as good. A small, tremulous, intermittent sound. In these days, we are all a Twitter. Is it any wonder that we have trouble staying focused in a world of chatter? Oh, by the way, did you hear that Jennifer Aniston's on Instagram now? Don't forget to love Jesus. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Did you see what Beyonce wore to the grocery store? Does God work in the details of our daily lives? Tom Hanks seems like a really nice guy. So rewind the clock back almost 3,000 years. 
We're going to wind up in northern Israel and two prophets that preach pretty much what is eventually going to influence what Jesus says. And they're going to preach the same thing from two different angles. Love God, love your neighbor. The two guys in northern Israel who are saying these things are named Hosea and Amos, two 8th century prophets. This is what Hosea said right in the middle of everything. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of kindness." With ties of love, I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. Seven hundred to eight hundred ish years before Jesus, this picture that Hosea gives us is of God like a gentle parent, like a mother, a father, taking these children out of Israel, lifting them up, and teaching them how to walk. You ever taught a child how to walk? I mean, it's, it's, it is exhilarating and frustrating at the same time. She think they're just about to get it, and then they don't, and then they try again, and then they don't. Same with teaching them how to ride a bike. It takes time. And then this picture of God leaning down and feeding His children. It's just this beautiful picture. And what does Hosea say? God keeps giving to them, and what do they do? They get further away. Does this sound familiar? God keeps feeding us, keeps leading us, and it just seems like people get further and further away. That's the bad news of Amos. They forgot how to love God, the one who is ever patient with our twittering. Amos pretty much tells the same story, but instead of the love God angle, he takes the love your neighbor angle. angle. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not turn back my wrath. They sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor and upon the dust of the ground and deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Love your neighbor and be careful about condemning everyone else. See, because the part that we don't see in what Amos is doing and what Amos is saying about all these people who are doing all these things that 
Obviously, God is not in favor of. You know what we don't see when we hear that part of Amos 2? The audience. Northern Israel. Because if you read back up into chapter 1 of Amos, down to where we just read in Amos 2, there's all the other surrounding groups. Judah, and all Edom, all the other ones. And I think what was happening while Amos was talking about all the other people except Israel is that they were cheering. It's like Edom did this wrong. And everybody in church is like, yeah, Edom did that wrong. Judah did that wrong. And Judah and Israel, by the way, were kind of crosstown rivals. It was kind of the Astros versus Walgreens, <laughs> which we just look it up. You'll see what I see. But anyway, they are crosstown rivals. Total crosstown rivals. And so Israel is cheering while God, you know, through Amos is saying, Judah, look at what you're doing wrong. You're not loving your neighbor either. And Israel is cheering. And then Amos uh, turns the tables on them and says, by the way, three, four sins of Israel too. And the crowd got about that silent because realized it's so much easier to talk about them and them and them and them. But sometimes what's happening with Hosea and Amos is that it says, no, there's something to be said for us too. I'm going to ask your permission first if I can go to toe-stepping. Can I go to meddling? All right. Tim spoke first, so. Okay, so fast forward back. That was 3,000 years ago. That was Hosea and Amos. Fast forward back up to today. And we have to ask, what do we value? What do we really value when it comes to who we are as the people of God? We had this conversation uh, during WBS, during our women's Bible study on Wednesday morning, about what is it that we value? And we just got uh, you know, a big sheet on post-it notes, and we just started writing. You know, what is it that we value? And we wrote down all kinds of things, you know, as a church, as a culture, whatever. What is it that we really value? One of the things that was interesting, too, is that when we started getting you know, honest about the things that we value. Some of the things that we said we value, it's like, well, is that something we need to be spending so much of our time valuing? Do you know what an ethnographer is? It is an, a social anthropologist, somebody who goes into a culture and observes the culture. They don't get involved, they try not to get involved, but they just observe the culture, and then they start writing things down. And one of the things that they start writing down is, what does this culture value? And you know how they, how they assess that? How they figure out what a culture values? It's not in their formal ceremonies. It's in their informal ceremonies. What is it that they're talking about day to day? So if the ethnographer walks in here, into our church, you know, into this lovely church family that we share, and if an ethnographer came in, not in what we're doing right now, 
but just in our daily, just in our regular conversations, when we're out in the hallways, down in the gym, you know, whatever, when we're just talking to each other, what would an ethnographer walk out of here and write down and say, this is what those people value? What would they write down? Sports? Weather? Our building? Health? What would they write down that says that we really value? And I think sometimes we operate out of this, it goes without saying, but it doesn't go without saying. You know what I mean by that? That sometimes we operate out of a, it goes without saying. Well, we don't, you know, walking up and down the hall, we don't talk about Jesus and we don't talk about grace. We don't talk about mercy and we don't talk about salvation because those things go without saying. Of course we value those things. But what if, let's just, let's just play a what if game. What if some Sunday morning, 50 people just walked in off the streets, coming in here because it says church and it says Christ and it says all these wonderful things out on the board. What if they walked in and then just started walking around among us and came and stood into our conversations? They don't know anything about Jesus. They don't know anything about God. They don't know anything about church. Would that shift our conversations? Would it, would it inform what we spend our time talking about in this place? I don't think this is a goes without saying conversation. I was at an interview for a preaching thing long ago and far away. You don't know any of these people. Anyway, long ago and far away, uh, very early in my ministry days. And we were in an interview, and I sat probably for an hour to an hour and 15 minutes just getting drilled question after question after question. You know what they were asking me about? How you feel, you know, what about pianos? What about women's roles in the church? How do you feel about the virgin birth? And I was like, I didn't say it because, you know, I was smarmy, but I wasn't that smarmy. I was like, how do I feel about the virgin birth? Are you asking what my emotional reaction is to that? I was just like, so finally at one point I just stopped and I, I stopped the interview and I said, okay, not, I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. I am being serious in this. Don't you want to know why I'm a Christian? Don't you want to know why I followed Jesus and have devoted my entire life to telling these kinds of stories and living this kind of life with one another? And it was one of those things that, well, that goes without saying. Really? You're going to hire someone to come stand in a place like this and talk repeatedly week after week about Jesus and salvation and mercy and love God and love your neighbor, I think it's probably a pretty important question to ask, why do you believe in God? Why do you keep believing in God? Why haven't you given up by now? Lots of people give up after time. Why haven't you given up by now? I don't think these are goes without saying conversations. I don't think that these are things that we need to just take for granted. You know, I like the weather, like yesterday and today. I really <laughs> like the weather. It's been wonderful. You know, we sat outside yesterday and, you know, 
walked around and I walked back and forth to the gym and I even had a hoodie. Feels good to put on a hoodie, especially after, you know, this what feels like six years of summer that we've just endured. Okay, so I like the weather too. It's not something we need to talk about all the time. You know, speaking of weather, I know we have to air condition this building. It seems like every time we turn around, one of the air conditioners goes out. Right, Alec? You know, we, we've, we've got to talk about this. We don't need to talk about it all the time. It doesn't need to be at the forefront of all of our conversations because what is most important and why we come together in a place like this Sunday morning after Sunday morning, why we go out from this place and take the church to a number of people who are not able to be here with us this morning because they're sick, the reason that we continue to pray for and surround those people. But, you know, back to Anna's point from a couple of years ago, is this a safe place to grow old? Is this a safe place to be sick? Yes, it is. It is, and we're going to continue to make it that. But it's because we know why we're here. And why we're here goes back to kind of the one true church of Hosea and Amos that informed why Jesus said what he said. If you wonder why younger people are leaving or never even coming to the church, it's because we've become little businesses rather than connectors of us to God. Sometimes we get so caught up in the way the world just does things that we just continue to do them too. And there's got to be a time and a place to say, look, what is most important? Why are we here? And according to Jesus, what drives us and makes us who we are is you love God, you love your neighbor. That has to be everything. That has to be everything we do. We're not going to agree on every single social issue. I mean, that's just kind of what's what, but we know why we're here and we know why we continue to be here. Speaking of WBS from this past Wednesday morning, hear this, this word of the Lord from 2 Peter. When's the last time you've read 2 Peter? Well, get a load of this. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience is salvation. Could you hear anything better today 
than the word that goes about God, but is patient with you. I don't know if you can hear anything better than that. I don't know if there's anything that's been said better than that. Jesus saves. Amen, but is patient with you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I think what that looks like in real life is, but is patient with you. The life of the one true church is the voice that never stops saying things like life, nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor celebrities can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then, so goes one of the songs from the Philippian songbook. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. I hate to be the bearer of bad news here, but in this celebrity athlete personality influencer culture of ours, most of us spend too much time thinking about things that don't quite fit the Jesus standard of whatever is admirable, whatever is lovely. Told you I was going to go to toe-stepping, and Tim said I could. We're not spending enough of our time as Christians, as the people of God, as the followers of Jesus, devoting our days to focusing on whatever is admirable, whatever is lovely. We're spending an awful lot of our time focusing on what's not admirable and certainly what's not lovely. And we as the people of God have a responsibility to come in here and say this very thing. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. In the spirit of holy rebellion, as we love God, and as we love one another, It doesn't have to be this way. Amen.